Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Press Coverage Podcast. I am your host, former NFL and AFL defensive back, Eric Crocker. Like I start every episode, follow me on Twitter at Eric underscore Crocker. Follow the Press Coverage Podcast Twitter account at Press Cub Podcast. Tons of content, tons of me defending Mike Evans as a top five receiver in the NFL, and everybody thinks I'm crazy. Um, but all that good stuff and plenty more. Make sure you guys follow the podcast. Make sure you guys subscribe, rate, and review the podcast uh, on iTunes, on Apple, if that's where you listen to it. If you listen to it on Spotify, go ahead. Um, you know, five stars recommended, but whatever you guys think I deserve, make sure you guys look into that. All right. Um, I have some good topics today. Tariq Hill, Ezekiel Elliott contract situation, my training camp experiences, and I have really good questions in mailbag segment. All right. So, Shoes. We're going to get straight into it. And the first thing I want to talk about is that Tyreek Hill situation because that's the most recent thing that caused a big uproar on Twitter. I'm texting my homies right now and uh, a Seahawk, it just came out that a Seattle Seahawk got suspended six games. And my guy was like, well, he got suspended six games, but Tyreek Hill, he only gets suspension. The NFL is inconsistent, right? So let, let, let's talk about that and how they go about handing out these suspensions and does, does Tyreek Hill deserve a suspension, all right? My stance on it early on was he beat up the pregnant woman in 2014. That's terrible. He's a bad human being. Um, terrific football player. I had him listed as a number six receiver in the league, and a lot of people were telling me he should be in jail, he should be this, he should be that, all right? So people definitely don't like him, but terrific football player, all right? But he had an incident in 2014, he has this incident where his you know, his son broke his arm. We don't know how, but it sounds like the woman is trying to pin it on him. All right, so you had the first audio clip that I listened to a while back, um, which was like a couple minutes long or whatever, and then there was another one that was 11 minutes long. And I just recent, I recently listened to that a few days ago. So, so we're going to get into both of these clips and kind of how my entire outlook on the Tariq Hill situation has 100% flipped than a 180, right? So Tariq Hill, you know, most of you guys know he dropped in the draft. He was kicked out of Oklahoma State um, for allegedly beating up a preg- pregnant woman, hitting her, whatever he did. It was a domestic violence situation, and the the, the woman was pregnant, and it's like, man, this, this is like the worst type of human being on the planet, right? So you have that situation, and then he had no other situations, to my knowledge, until this recent one where his son broke his arm. So his girl recorded, there was a leak of a few minutes of it, however people got a hold of it. And it was basically her trying to get him to confess to breaking his son's arm. All right. Now, the the thing that people hear most with it is he, he never he never admitted to breaking his son's arm. He never did. He did, basically, it sounded like he disciplined his son. And I'll get on that because I know my wife, um, and I have a baby mama as well, our outlook on children discipline is different, right? And it's going to be different depending on how you um, grew up and how you visualize it and the way that it processes through your brain is going to be different. So the words that you use are going to be different than maybe words that I would use or Tyreek Hill. I'm not saying I do what he does, but did he break his son's arm? That's what this is about. That's why he was facing a suspension. You can't go back and tie in the 2014 situation because it didn't happen in the NFL. So all the NFL can do is, did he break his son's arm? And if he did, that's what we're suspending him for. 
He has no other priors, to my knowledge, in the NFL. No other priors. Just this one isolated incident. So did he break his son's arm? Well, she recorded a file, and this is my thing. He has absolutely no idea that he's being recorded. He has no idea he's being recorded. So you're recording him, and he's denying that he broke his son's arm. The thing that people take away most from the initial clip that came out was when he said, you should be afraid of me too, bitch. <laughs> right? That's what he said. And and that's what most people take away from that audio clip. Oh, look, listen, he said you should be afraid of me. And uh, all right, I'm not condoning that. I think that that's terrible. He shouldn't have said that. All right. Because I don't want my wife to be afraid of me. All right. Now, as far as his son, she was uh, saying that he, you know, he would punch his son in the chest. I really can't visualize myself punching a three-year-old in the chest. I would never go that far. Um, <laughs> that again, questionable, right? But what was he getting suspended for? Or what was he possibly getting suspended for? It was breaking his son's arm. He never admitted to breaking his son's arm. I didn't do it. I love my son. I do all that. Woo, woo, woo. I just play video games. Um, you always bothering me. But nothing about what he said was I broke my son's arm, right? So she keeps poking at him, poking at him, poking at him. And then I listen to the longer, the extended version of this. And if you haven't listened to it yet, I advise you to go listen to it and kind of you can just take notes and kind of visualize your, your situation and put it in the perspective of maybe how you see it. All right. So she's poking at him, poking at him, poking at him, um, saying your son is terrified of you. Your son is terrified of him. Now, now, this is one thing I know about women. All right. Women can be. And, and I'm not saying this as far as like the whatever other situations. I'm just this is just my thought process on women. They can be a little dramatic. Right. So when she's saying your son is terrified, of your son is terrified of you. Maybe his son is not. But maybe she's saying that. Your son is terrified of you because he disciplines his son in a way that maybe she wouldn't, right? And sometimes when you grow up in different cultures and different ways of doing things, that's an outlook that, you know, some people don't 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 have. It's tough. I'm in a situation right now where my wife, we grew up completely different. And our outlooks on things, just in life in general, are completely different, right? Completely different. We have two di- completely different outlooks on on pretty much everything we've had to really work hard to kind of get close to the same page. We'll probably never be on the same page. So, so in a situation like this, where maybe she doesn't agree with his um, punishment styles, she views it as extreme where he views it as when he's doing something wrong, he's going to get punished right now in the process, the kid broke his arm. How? And this is what he was, again, this is why he was going to be suspended. There's no evidence whatsoever that he broke his arm. There's no evidence. There's no video of the son. She tried to get him on audio to, to admit to it. He said, I didn't do it. All right. That's all the NFL has to go off of. Now, what kind of changed my whole thought process on the whole Tyreek Hill situation was in the process of this and listening to the longer extended version, he brings up 2014. And he kind of really goes into detail about that night and the things that happened. And this is when I started kind of changing my tone on the whole Tyreek Hill situation. So, you know, she's poking at him, poking at him, poking at him. You can tell he's obviously kind of getting frustrated. And then he says, 
you basically you're trying to ruin my life again like you tried to do in 2014. And I don't think that she was expecting him to bring that up. So he went there. And remember, he has no idea that he's being recorded. He has no idea he's being recorded. So he brings he brings up 2014. You're trying to ruin my my life again like you tried to do in 2014. And she's like, well, no, 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 blah, blah. He's like, I didn't hit you. You lied to all those people and made it seem like I did something that I didn't do. And she was like, well, you did this. you." And he's like, no, I picked you up and put you outside. I picked you up. Now, now I don't know how aggressively he put her outside, but that's what he said. He picked her up. He put her outside and told her to go home. Right. And she was like, well, and he was like, so, you know, you said, are we over with or whatever? And he was like, yeah, we're, we're done. Like, go home. So that was the night 2014 where he allegedly hit the um, beat up the pregnant woman. The story that we're hearing on this audio, which I don't think she meant to get out. And I don't think she meant to go this far and kind of get in depth with it. But she had to when she had to say when she said that basically she was fabricating the whole story about the broken arm. But um, so she had to release the rest of the audio. And it basically was what we all thought happened in 2014 did not happen. And the part where you really know he didn't hit her in 2014, where they say he beat up the pregnant woman, was he said, look, this is what he said on the audio file. If you guys haven't heard it, go back and listen. Look me in my eyes and tell me I hit you. And she changed the subject. He said, he said, on my, on everything I love, I never hit you. Look me in my eyes and tell me I hit you. Look me in my eyes and tell you, and she couldn't do it. So I advise everybody, if you haven't, and you have like this kind of judgment, uh, Tyreek Hill, I'm not saying he's just some super innocent person. I don't know. But I'm just saying off of these two incidents, I definitely look at 2014 a lot different than I viewed it previously. Um, and this video, this is a guy who has no idea he's being recorded. And he, on his own, brings up 2014 and the fact that you lied and you tried to ruin my life and look me in my eyes and tell, tell me that... You, I hit you, and she couldn't do it. So go listen to that for yourself. But as far as the suspensions and the inconsistencies, all right, so people bring up Zeke, and we'll get into Zeke. Why did Zeke get um, suspended for allegations, but Tyreek Hill didn't? Well, the difference is Tyreek Hill hasn't had any prior incidents in the NFL. He had the one in college, but no prior incidents in the NFL, to my knowledge. All right, Ezekiel Elliott had a bunch of little things that kept surrounding him in the NFL. All right. So he had the incident with the pulling the girls uh boobs out and um on video in uh New Orleans. He had you know this incident recently on in um Vegas. He had the incident with the um the the women and the text message. There's just so many things surrounding Ezekiel Elliott and all these things and it was the commissioner saying like dude like you got to chill out. Sit your ass down for a little minute. We're going to suspend you for six games. All right? So that's why he got suspended. A lot of these other guys, there was a Seahawk that just got suspended today. You know? Whatever that incident is, I'm pretty sure that there's some proof behind it, right? With Tyreek Hill, there's no proof. No proof. There's no proof that he did anything to his son. She tried to get him on video. Like, listen, if or audio, if my wife... Say I did something, right? Say I did something, 
to my wife and her and I are having a conversation and it's just me and her or her and I. We are the only two people in the room talking or whatever the case is. And my wife starts asking me about uh, things that I know, okay, it's just her and I having this conversation. I'm going to tell I'm I'm not going to, nah, that didn't happen. Nah, that didn't happen. No, I'm going to be like, you know what, babe? That did happen. That's my fault. That's on me. Um, you know, it was an accident. Something along those lines. I didn't mean to break my son's arm. It was an accident. Something along those lines. He denied it. And he's just talking. It's just them two talking. So that Tyree Hill situation, man, I, I would like uh, everybody, if you haven't already, go back, listen to the audio. There's an 11-minute clip on YouTube um, before you, you know, continue to judge him. And if you want to judge him, go ahead. But I'm just saying the NFL can suspend him. There's no evidence of anything. All right. So that's the Tyreek Hill thing. Now, you look at Ruben Foster, and he was somebody else that, you know, keeps going through these different things with women and stuff like that. Some You sometimes get suspended just off of your priors in, the, in that, you know, Ruben Foster... He got caught, busted with the weed. All right, you got busted with the weed in Alabama, they arrested you. Okay, now you have a domestic violence situation um, with this woman. And, you know, you only got two games, though. Dude, the weed, the domestic violence, you got two games. You got arrested a couple times. All right, and then you had another situation um, where the woman went to the hotel and saying that you, you know, it was domestic violence again. They arrested you again for a third time. So, you know, these are things that are happening in the NFL. He's getting arrested. He's, you know, all these things are documented. So when he gets suspended two games or fined for a two-game uh, uh, salary, that's why. With Tyreek Hill, there's none of that. There's no evidence. There's no anything. There's no. Are there any arrests? I I, I don't know. I'm really I'm really asking. H- has he been arrested in the NFL? Was he arrested with the situation of breaking the Sims arm? Like there's nothing. So, the NFL, what the hell are they supposed to do? With nothing. And he has no prior uh, anything in the NFL. So that's why he's off. Now, somebody that I feel like the team is behind them. And this guy is kind of being, I don't know how to explain it, but Ezekiel Elliott. He has two years left on his contract. That's if you include the fifth-year option, which is actually a pretty hefty price tag. I want to say like $9 million for a running back. Ezekiel Elliott has been in trouble Every year in the NFL. And who always defends him? Goddamn Jerry Jones. That's like his son, right? I was listening to a recent podcast, and they said um, that everybody in that war room actually wanted Jalen Ramsey. Jerry Jones was the one that was like, we're going to get this running back. All right? And he's been in trouble every single year. Every offseason, he's been in trouble doing something. It, just now, um, this this past offseason now, and we're getting into the season, but this past off se- past offseason, he was in an incident in Vegas where I, I get it. You, you got a guy following you around. It's like, why the hell is this dude following me around everywhere? You got people recording you. You're obviously drunk. He was definitely drunk. And he nudged the dude. It, it wasn't it wasn't much. But he like nudged a guy. The guy fell over. And, you know, it's all on video and stuff like that. And it's just like, why do you continue to put yourself in these positions of vulnerability? Stay your ass at home, play video games, work out. I'm not saying don't have fun, don't have a life. But right now, you need you need a, a, an offseason where there's just no issues. And he can't, he hasn't had those. Now, 
there's one person that continues to stick his neck out for him and defend him. And that person is Jerry Jones. All right. Jerry Jones continues to stick his neck out for him, defend him. And you're going to hold out and not play because you want a new contract. I almost feel like it's a slap in the face to Jerry Jones. This dude has defended him the entire way. And now you want a big payday? When really we'll slap the fifth year option on you, you'll get nine million. Hey, if you have a clean season and offseason, hey, maybe we can talk about your contract and extend you. But right now, I don't think this is the time. And he's holding out. I thought that was crazy and uh kind of a slap in the face of Jerry Jones. If I'm Jerry Jones, I feel some type of way about this. And I think you definitely have to take it kind of personal. Now the issue with him is if he doesn't play, what do you do? You're gonna trade him? Who are you gonna trade him to? Teams don't even value running backs like that. They're not getting the contracts that they want. Look at Le'Veon Bell. He, Le'Veon Bell sat out an entire year, and, you know, he tried to prove a point. It didn't really work. And there was only one team that really wanted to sign him, and they gave him a bunch of money. I don't even think they had to do that. Teams don't value backs. And the teams that do value backs, they actually have a back, right? And the teams that do value backs, they have backs. So what are you gonna, who are you going to trade Ezekiel Elliott to? Who's going to want him? And very talented, but, okay, he wants a new contract. We have to pay a running back. So we have to trade. We have to give up draft capital for you, which, ah, how much draft capital are we going to give up for him, and what are the Cowboys going to want in return? And then I have to sign this dude long-term who has had off-trouble, quote-unquote, issues. Um, they're not, like, major things, but he's been, you know, in the news every single offseason, I have to sign this dude to an extension. I have to give him big money and expect him to, like, now all of a sudden stay out of trouble? Hell no. So who's going to trade for him? And do teams even value running backs anymore? I don't think so. I think you'll, you know, you, you can draft a running back high and get the protection that you've gotten out of Ezekiel Elliott. Or you can draft, I don't even say draft. You don't have to draft a running back, and you can get Philip Lindsay and him run for 1,100 yards and be very productive, Right? Now, he's not Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott is a finisher. He's a game changer. Um, extremely talented. But you can still get production out of running backs. 49ers have three running backs. They, they, you know, none of them are drafted high. You got McKinnon, they signed free agent. Coleman, they signed. Who I don't even think Coleman was a high draft pick. Third round, maybe, um, when he was with the Falcons. And you got Matt Breda, who led the team in rushing last year, who was undrafted. I mean, the Seahawks, they have Chris Carson, they did spend a higher pick on Penny, and Penny's not even playing. So you spent the first-round pick, but that's another team that, you know, they really value the running back position. They led the league in rushing last year. They're not trading for him. So who's going to trade for him? And where are they going to give up? And are they going to pay him? It's kind of a slap in the face. So we'll see how the whole thing plays out. Summertime is pool time. All pool owners know the hardest thing about owning a pool is keeping the water safe. Testing your pool water is easy. But figuring out what to put into it can be the pain. Sutro has solved that problem. Sutro's free pool chemical calculator takes the hassle out of treating your pool. Our simple text-based interface allows you to test, text, and then treat your pool. Go to mysutro.com slash bluewire to sign up for Sutro's free pool calculator. If you own a pool or you have friends or family who do, tell them about Sutro. It's simple, safe, and convenient way to keep your pool water safe. Take the guesswork out of the pool work with Sutro. 
Sign up for free at mysutro.com slash bluewire. Training camp is approaching and it kind of takes me back to my um, experience with training camp and just kind of how the whole process went. Man, it, you know, it, it was cool, man. Um, Newer Jets, we drove a bus up to Cortland, New York. I don't remember exactly where in New York it was, but it wasn't a big town or anything like that. And we went to a Division three school where we stayed in uh, some dorms. You know, you had a roommate. It was pretty cool, man. You know, buddies, we, we all, you know, we were close. We played video games and hang out. But training camp was a grind, especially as for somebody that was a rookie. You wake up, you have weights at 5 a.m. So you have to go eat before then. I, I think I ate at 5 a.m. And then you had to be on that little uh, thing that kind of transports you to uh, the weight room at 5.30. So you eat at 5 a.m., 5.30, you're going, you're lifting weights. All right, you get back. Now you, your meetings start. You have your first meetings in the morning. All right, knock the meetings out. They're probably an hour, hour and a half or whatever the case is. As soon as those meetings are over, boom, you get ready, hit the field. Practice for a couple of hours. Um, once practice is over, you have about an hour and a half to get lunch and try to sleep. So I would always take like a 45-minute nap, and then I would go eat. Scarf down some food real quick. As soon as you get done with that, you have film from practice. So you watch film from practice. Um, look at you know all the BS you did, and if you did good, if you did bad, watch all that. And then you go back out and you do a walkthrough. And there's like an hour-long walkthrough. All right? So you do your walkthrough. And everything, you go over plays, stuff, blah, blah, whatever, you know, you're focused on, you know, where do I mess up, where do I do good, things I need to improve on. Finish your walkthrough, all right? By the time you finish your walkthrough, it's probably around 5 o'clock or so, all right? Well, you have another meeting. As soon as you get done with that meeting, which is like an hour long, you have dinner. So you eat dinner, dinner, we ate dinner around 6 o'clock. As soon as dinner was done... The veterans, they got to go back to their rooms. The rookies, we had another meeting. So I say about 7 o'clock to 8.30, the rookies had a meeting. So the rookies had their meeting, um, going over different things, yada, yada, yada. And then, so by 8.30, I'm done. So I get back to the dorm room probably about 9 o'clock. And now I have to study. I have to study. I have to watch more film of what I did during the day of practice, watch the veterans, watch what they do, study the playbook. By the time I go to sleep, it's 11 o'clock, and you wake up and do it all over again. <laughs> all right. So training camp is a grind. I really appreciate the opportunity that I was given and just kind of how quickly things can end, man. When, when I got released, I got released because, and this is how football is a numbers game. I got released because Joe McKnight, had a concussion. Brian, uh, R.I.P. Joe McKnight. Brian Winters, who's actually still there starting. Brian Winters had like a high ankle sprain or something like that. It, it was something with his ankle or something, leg. And then Chris Ivory, running back, had like a lower body injury or something like that. Something where he couldn't play in the next game. So they got three guys out, but they're not cutting those guys. So what do they do? Well, let's cut somebody else. Right. Oh, let's cut uh, 
Eric Crocker. <laughs> You're the lucky contestant here. Get your ass out of here. So they cut you. They take your playbook, send you home, right? Um, wherever you want to go, they, they, you know, they ship you home. So, uh, yeah, man, the training camp, man, it, it, it's, it's a grind. It's a real ass grind. Uh, all day thing, you're, you're physically exhausted, but you got to, you know, you just got to keep pushing, keep pushing. It, it's really cool. I, you know, I, I made memories for the rest of my life that I remember. And, you know, obviously I'm able to share with you guys. Um, there was some talent in that, in that room, man, Cromartie. Interesting cat, but um, I learned a lot from him. D. Milliner, I kind of got a front row view at, I don't think he's that good. <laughs> and I thought maybe I was tripping. And now, I, you know, out the league in a couple years, and I mean, we haven't even heard from D. Milliner at all. Like, where is D. Milliner? Um, Sheldon Richardson, I think he ended up winning defensive rookie of the year. But I, I saw it from the start, man. The dude was special. Uh, I'm surprised to see him bounce from team to team. He is a different kind of dude where he's kind of like, you know, they had that, he had that incident where he was driving like 100 miles an hour like in a Bentley with like machine guns and stuff in the car or whatever that situation is. Yeah, I could see that happening. <laughs> cool dude, though. Goofy as hell. But yeah, I, I just kind of, you know, we see training camp by the start for, you know, all the NFL teams. Some of them had already had started. I'll be looking into a lot of, you know, position battles and, I know what these kids are going through, and I know it can it can be over in you know a snap of a finger. So good luck to everybody that's out there, you know, with training camps. And uh, man, it's an exciting time. Soak it all in, enjoy it, and don't take it for granted. Let's talk about sleep. Listen to these studies from Harvard and John Hopkins. Chronic sleep deprivation has been shown to lead to depression, diabetes, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. You need eight hours of sleep. One of sleep's biggest problems, temperature. Tough to get good sleep if you are too hot or cold. I want to tell you about the Pod by 8 Sleep. The Pod by 8 Sleep is a high-tech bed design specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. It was developed by leading sleep researchers after tracking 43 million hours of sleep. It combines dynamic temperature regulation and sleep tracking to enhance your rest and recovery. It learns your sleep habits and adjusts the temperatures automatically. That means if you like the bed cool, but your partner likes the bed warm, now you can both have it at the same time in a crazy comfortable bed. Sleep longer and deeper, so you wake up refreshed and ready to take on the world. All right, now we're going to get into this mailbag segment. I, I got to come up with a different name for mailbag segment. I don't know, but I got to come up with a n- different name for this mailbag segment because that's what everybody calls it, the mailbag segment, all right? But I got some good questions. All right, so first one from my guy, Scott Geelan. He says, uh, does it help a DB to have played on offense with regard to understanding the timing of routes and the design of plays? Thus, making it more likely he'll be able to read things, jump things, get his head around. Um, you know, a lot of times, by the time somebody um, commits to a certain position, most guys played both ways in high school and Pop Warner and everything anyways. So by the time you get to the NFL where these things are really, really, really going to pay off, you're really detached from playing that other position. And also, the level of talent that you're facing once you get to the NFL compared to when you were playing the other position, it's so drastically different that I, I don't know if it has an effect on it to that extent. Now, depending on what type of athlete you were, I mean, that can help. So, you know, just being a tremendous athlete, I think more than anything, that that helps. But... 
as far as you know, I, I learned a lot about the receiver position just based off of guarding receivers. Now, I, I was talented at receiver. I, I, I feel like if I really focused on it, I probably could have played receiver um, as long as it, uh, I don't know if I'd have made it to the league. My decision to play cornerback was solely based on the fact that in 2005, when I was coming out of high school, I'm a 6'1 cornerback where I don't see that. And like this is at, this is before the Seahawks and all that. I, I was six one corner, um, legit six one, and I didn't see guys that look like me a lot at corner. Where the receivers all looked like me, six foot, six one, six two, six three. They were all taller. So I was like, man, let me play a position where I stand out a little more. But I, so I, I was talented at receiver. I don't know how much playing receiver in high school helped me moving forward but I think the biggest thing was just my experiences playing corner and that helping me understand receivers more what's harder to guard what's easier to guard what um, do they like to do talking to receivers you know picking their brains hey what are you thinking on this hey if I play like this what do you how are you going to play off of that you know those are the things I think kind of help you more than anything with learning how to play you know defensive back so that's that's my experience with that all right, next question, uh, my guy Presley. Um, I went to college with my guy. Um, what's the biggest asset that a slower DB could have? I think anticipation and smarts. If I'm not the fastest guy or I'm playing these Blazers, having really good anticipation and, and understanding exactly what I'm seeing and being able to jump it, like be really good in film. And we see that a lot with Richard Sherman, right? He's not the super athlete. Now, he's a tall, long corner, 6'3", but... He doesn't really have the best press technique. Um, you see him get turned around. He's not the quickest in and out of his breaks. But when you see him at his best, it's because he understands route concepts. He knows if this guy goes out, this guy's probably going in. And I'm anticipating that. And his anticipation is on a 1,000. I think that's what made him really good throughout his career. So I, I think more than anything, when we say slower, because in the NFL, corners really aren't slow, but slower, having great anticipation. And a lot of that comes from film study. All right, question here from Julian Young. Rank your favorite press technique. Um, I think I hear a lot of just different terminology on what people call things um, with press technique. All right. I, I've said it, I've addressed it a few times on previous podcast um, episodes, but my biggest thing with press technique is if the receiver is on the ball, I want to make him work laterally as much as possible. And the closer he is to the line of scrimmage, the closer I am to him, the the easier it is for me to be able to make that happen. All right. So that's first and foremost. Now, if I'm in the slot or if the receiver's off the ball, I'm probably not going to be able to use that same technique. So I have to switch it up. And from that point, I would like to use more of an inch technique. Some people call it inch, feather, motor, um, whatever you want to call it. I would I would use more of that. Because you, you can't, the guy is so far off the ball, he's probably two yards off the ball, the space is already created. So I have to be able to move my feet because if I have my feet planted in the ground and he goes one way or the other, I, I'm just not going to really be able to recover. So inch technique, um, you know, feather, motor from, you know, if the receiver's off the ball, if he's on, I'm going to make him work loudly. Now there are different, people call different uh, things they call it. I just say step replace. 
you know, just step in place. And, and if, however you envision that in your head, that's pretty much what it is. Maybe I'll put up a video one day of it. Or maybe tonight I have a DB session at 7. Uh, maybe I, I'll kind of demonstrate some things but and post it on the Twitter account. But step in place. Um, some people call it like kick step or kick slide. I, I see that a lot. Um, but I, I think ultimately it, it means the same thing. Step or place. All right. Um, next question from 49er Mister. Who do you believe will win the starting uh, linebacker position at Sam? Uh, I'm pretty sure this is a 49er question. So my answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even think the Sam really matters like that. Um, he's an edge setter. You know, teams spend more time in nickel and dime packages, so he's not on the field all that much. I, I could see it being possibly Malcolm Smith. Um, I've heard the name Dre Greenlaw, the rookie from Arkansas, thrown out there. But that's not really a position. Like, out of all the positions on defense, I really wouldn't focus on, like, who's the starting Sam. Um, just get somebody in there that's kind of stout and kind of strong and can, you know, hold his ground. All right, here's a question from uh, Coach Morgan. We'd love to know what everybody is teaching on initial footwork and press technique, um, press man technique. I, I kind of went over a little bit with um, Julian Young's question. I, I think what I kind of tell defensive backs, play basketball at the line of scrimmage, right? So just kind of envision it like this. You got Steph Curry at the top of the key. Am I going to back up and just open the gate and let Steph Curry drive past me to the lane? Hell no, right? I'm going to slide with him and – get a hand on him and work to get to that hip, right? I'm not just going to back out and give him, give him, like, space or open up or anything like that. I want to keep him in front of me. I want to be able to slide left to right. And after I slide, I want to get my hands on. So feet before hands, for sure. All right, feet before hands. I'm really big on that. Unless somebody's just hella big and slow. And, I, you know, it's like, you know what? You're not – athletically, you're not going to beat me at all. So I'm just going to muscle you to get in position. Cool. But the higher level you get, that's not realistic. I know people hear press coverage and they think, um, no pun intended, and they think, oh, you're just going to like stonewall a guy. It is not happening. Nine out of ten times it's not happening. All right. So work your technique. Feet before hands for sure. And make the guy work laterally. Don't give a free release. And then and then work to get the hand, hands on. Play basketball. I have a question from Pedro. Hey, man, I just had a 7-on-7 cam. I'm a DB. I was man-to-man on a guy that's six inches taller than me, and his arms were long as well. I grabbed his arms and hit his stomach, and he still caught the ball. How'd you hit his stomach and grab his arms at the same time? All right, but um, he still caught the ball. You got any advice on another way to defend someone like that? All right, six inches taller than me. When you're shorter or, you know, anytime you have a, a, a disadvantage, you have to learn how to work around that limitation. So I think I talked about this on the previous podcast or maybe it was someone else's podcast, but I played with a guy, Isaiah Trufant, on the Jets. And Trufant, I kid you not, was five foot five. And I would like to get him on to confirm that because he was listed at 5'8", but he was not 5'8". 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, at the very tallest, 155 pounds. But he was able to guard tall guys like a Stephen Hill who was 6'4", and a speedster because he perfected being tiny. He was a tremendous off-coverage guy. I would say that Isaiah um, Trufant was the best off-coverage, pure coverage cornerback on that roster. Best at 5'5". And he had these quick-ass feet, 
And he just mastered this technique of as the receiver was going up for the ball, he would kind of wait until the receiver's on the way down and punch the ball out. Like punch up through the hands and the ball would come out. He was really good at that. Now you have to figure out what's going to be good for you and what's going to be best for you. But there's no one way to skin a cat. I always tell kids, let's figure out what works for you and let's improve on that. I think sometimes people get so stuck in their ways on this is how we're going to do things and we're just going to do it this way. And if you can't do it this way, you can't play for me. And, And I think that's the wrong way to go about it. I think, hey, let me see what this kid does well. And let's work on his limitations while improving on the things that he does extremely well, especially if it's something that isn't going to go away. If you're 5'8", 5'9", 5'10", that's not going, you're not going to get taller, right? You know, once you're like 18, you're not really going to get taller. So work on perfecting being shorter. I wasn't a, a fast guy. I was a 4'5", 5", where I was just fast enough. But I had to know if I'm playing a speedster, I have to adjust and I have to play this way. Well, I perfected being a 4'5", 5", 5 guy, where maybe somebody else 4'3", could play things a little different than me. So perfect being shorter, practice, work your technique, stick with your technique. And sometimes if somebody's six inches taller, they're probably just going to win sometimes. All right, and last question from my guy Ali. If you were named NFL commissioner tomorrow, what are three rule changes you would make to improve the quality of the game? (sighs) Well, so I I definitely wouldn't add pass interference uh, reviews. I think that's terrible. I don't know. Three rule changes. See, I'm one of those people that kind of go with the flow, and I kind of like the way the game is. Um, I think they have made it extremely tough with this targeting stuff, and I think the NFL should maybe have a review kind of like college does because there are a lot of guys that lead with their shoulders, and it ends up being a big hit, and they just throw a flag, and, you know, it's like, that's wrong. Giving up free 15 yards. Um... I think more practice time. And I know the players might not agree with that. The CBA, the whole thing, I know that's coming up. But NFL practice, man, it flies by. And they and they try to fit as much as they can in. But if you're a guy that's at the bottom of the roster, you don't get many reps to develop because there's just not enough time. I'd say practice is like an hour and a half long. It's not long. You go and it, go, and it moves. You got indies. You got special teams. You have one-on-ones, you have seven-on-seven, you have team, and boom, it's done. Like, there's not a lot in between. You have a little bit of time for walkthrough as well. Um, You know, I I remember being third string, I would get three reps, maybe four in each, in you know, in seven-on-seven. I would maybe get three reps in team. Like, how how can uh, someone develop like that? So I think that's one thing you might see, um, or we are probably seeing it now, where the developing guy, isn't really developing at the speed that teams would like because uh, you just don't have time. So as far as three rule changes, I, I would probably say extend practice maybe 30 minutes. Um, I, I don't think that would hurt anybody, I, but I think that would tremendously help bottom of the roster guys. Um, I would go back to multiple cutdowns. I think everybody getting cut at one time really hurts the bottom. Everything, a lot of things I think about are the, for the bottom of the roster guys. So the... One big cut down from 90 to 53 really hurts guys because now guys are really scrambling to try to find the team. And I, I think it really makes it hard for some guys that are at the bottom. And then they end up in the CFL and you probably never hear about them again. <laughs> All right. Or in the arena league um, like I was. 
Uh, let's see. I think that's it. That that's the only rule changes that I can think of. Maybe the way they do suspensions. A lot of things you, they do as well. You got to remember that the commissioner, he's for the owners. The owners and the owners are for their money. So that's a big part of it. The, the commissioner works. He don't work for the players. The commissioner works for the owners. So that's one to think about. But all right, man. Uh, it's fun rapping with you guys. Fun answering questions. Make sure you guys shoot me any questions that you guys have uh, moving forward. And I'll either answer them on the Twitter account. Uh, please stop with the disrespect of Mike Evans. And on the next episode, I got my guy Rob Louder. I'm going to drop that on Thursday. It's going to be a training camp preview for the 49ers. Hopefully, I can reach out to some other um, beat writers from other teams and kind of uh, get their perspective on certain teams. So if you guys, if there's a certain team you guys want to hear about, one of your favorite teams, um, Steelers, uh, I have an in with him, with them with uh, Ryan Sakamoto. Um, Cowboys, I got my guy Jonah Tolls. Just teams around, you know, the NFL uh, let me know. I'll reach out to one of the beat writers and I'll try to, you know, kind of get a perspective. I just want to make this the best podcast that you guys listen to and the most informative one, um, but still kind of have fun with it. And uh, shoot, maybe I'll bring on a, a, a fan. I did the kids last week. I thought that was great. Um, shoot, let's keep it rolling right here on the Press Coverage Podcast. <laughs>